0: Amen. Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 7, reading from verses 15 through 25. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. I do not consider, I I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know, do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good does not dwell within me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I am enslaved to the law of God, but with my flesh I am enslaved to the law of sin. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, O Lord, because we know that you've given it to us for this morning, for such a time as this. We pray, Lord, that you will speak what we need to hear this morning and that we will treasure this word and apply it to our lives. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have you ever walked into a room and forgot what you were there for? Anybody, anybody relate to that? Or you went to the fridge and opened the door and you forgot what you were looking for and so you just stare for about 15 minutes before you realize that's not even where you were supposed to go. There are things that confuse us. Sometimes we just forget what we're doing. Sometimes we're just confused, period. Sin confused Paul. It was confusing to him. It caused him to do things he hated and would make him guilty of things that did not please God. Trying to stay clear of sin is clearly an ongoing battle in all of us. And Paul really struggled with it. He he struggled with it all his life. It was something that every single day was an ongoing battle. I compare it to trying to keep a healthy diet or a healthy lifestyle. How do we struggle with dieting or exercising or just taking care of ourselves like we should, staying away from bad habits, staying away from addictions, staying away from bad behavior, staying away from things that we know are not good for us. I mean, at the end, we, we know some things are bad for us, and yet we, we still do them. Paul often found himself exactly in that predicament. He didn't want to do the bad things, but he ended up doing them. It's like when you're on a diet and you find yourself holding a piece of chocolate cake and wonder where that came from, you know? And no idea how you got there, but there you are eating it. You find yourself sneaking away to the fridge at night to get that midnight snack that you know you really don't need, but you still want. You find yourself doing things like hiding candy under your pillow, knowing that you really shouldn't be having candy that late at night. This is exactly how Paul describes his relationship with sin. It was almost like a love-hate relationship. He says the good he wants to do, he's not able to do, and yet the evil he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing. And I think we can relate to that. We have experienced that in our own lives. We have good intentions, right? We, we really intend to take care of ourselves. We really intend to eat right. We really intend to try to get our exercise in. But we don't always do it. What this shows us in our scripture is that we basically have to learn to separate action from intention. We have intention... Intention is not the problem, action is. We intend to do what is right by God. It is our desire to do good, but the flesh continues to fight back. At every step of the way, sin tries tries to pull us away from that which we know is good. And at every step, sin tries to make us do things that we know deep down in our heart and at our core that are not good. Nobody goes out and intentionally gains 10 pounds. But it happens one pound at a time, doesn't it? But nobody intentionally goes to, to oh, you know, this week is going to be my 10 pound week. I'm going to gain 10 pounds by next Sunday. <laughs> nobody does that. Nobody says, you know, my intention is just to be really unhealthy this week. My intention is really to get an addiction that will end up killing me. My intention is to grab a bad habit that will destroy my marriage. My intention is to go ahead and do things that will destroy my children. Nobody has that intention. So intention is not the problem. Our intention is to do right by God, to follow His instructions, to follow His will, to follow the example of Jesus. The problem is that our intentions don't always translate into action. We intend to do good. But we end up doing the evil that we know we shouldn't do. This also reminds me of my struggle with insomnia. Anybody suffer from insomnia? It's one of the things that I struggle with all the time. You know, I can be sitting in front of the TV watching the 12 episodes of a series of Netflix and falling asleep, literally can't keep my eyes open, walk upstairs, lay on the bed and be wide awake. Wide awake. And I was just barely hanging on downstairs at the TV. But the minute I got to bed, my brain started going, and I began to think about a million things that were really probably not even that important. And the next thing you know is I can't sleep. Again, I know what I need to do. I need to get a decent amount of sleep. I know that. I know that up here. But my body is not cooperating. Again, we know what we need to do. Paul saw the law as good in that it always reminded him of what was right before God. It pointed him to what he needed to do. But it was similar to having a clock. A clock tells me it's bedtime. It's past your bedtime. But it doesn't knock me out and put me to sleep like it does in the cartoons. It doesn't kick me out of bed in the morning like it does in the cartoons where you see the the clock just ringing so, so, so big and so animatedly that you just can't help but get out of bed. It doesn't make you do anything. It simply points to the fact that you know it's time to do something. But it really doesn't help you do it. You still have to take action. You still have to do it. Paul understood that the law merely points out when we are in sin and reminds us that we need to do something about it. That intention is not enough, but that action must follow the intention. This is why Paul says he delights in the law of the Lord in his innermost being because it helps him to know where he has gone wrong. It helps to point out to him what he needs to work on and what he needs to do. Yet when he looks at himself, he finds that there's a war going on inside of him. A war between his mind and his members, he describes it as. Even though he loves the law of the Lord, it doesn't always do what he should. And it reminded me of that cartoon that I showed the the kids earlier, of the little angel and the little devil. You know, it would be easy for us to follow the right advice, if they were dressed in costume all the time. But the reality is that these voices don't always make themselves clear in terms of who they are. The good voices and the bad voices tend to intermingle and sometimes they make the bad sound good and the good sound bad. And we get this conflicting advice And it all gets very confusing to the point that we sometimes do, like Paul says, we do the evil that we shouldn't do and the good that we wanted to do, we don't get to do. It is almost as if Paul is saying, I should know better and I should behave better. Intellectually, I know I should. But when it comes to practice, it's hard to do. You know, we have read our Bibles We have heard numerous sermons. Some of you have heard way more sermons than I. We have read many books. We have studied our past behavior to learn from our mistakes. And yet we find ourselves in the same exact predicament that Paul found himself. Sin just won't let go. Sin continues to tempt us. Sin continues to come back after us. And even though we've told sin, you're dead to me, and we said, you know, I'm dead to you, even after we've proclaimed freedom in Christ from its power, even when we have chosen Jesus as Lord, sin continues to tempt us. It doesn't let up. It tries to confuse us and lead us astray, and to capture us once again in the vicious cycle of sinfulness. Because in case you didn't know, sin begets sin. The more sin we get involved in, the more sin gets a hold of our lives. It's like when you're on a diet and you say, just one piece of candy won't hurt. Or just one sweet won't hurt. And the next thing you know is the whole cake is gone and you're in trouble because your diet has just been blown. It's the same as when you're watching that Netflix series at night and you suffer from insomnia and you go, just one more episode, just one more, Just, just one more, and they leave you in a cliffhanger, and what you do is, next episode. Let me give you a hint. If Netflix asks you if you're still watching, you've watched too long. If God tells you, if you're still doing this, why are you still going down this path? You've been going down the wrong path too long. It gets to a point where we intellectually know this is not good for me and we keep going. And we keep giving in to sinful temptation. So why does this happen? if we have declared ourselves free from sin, if we have declared ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ, if we have declared our independence from our old self to become our new self, why does this keep happening to us? Well, Paul explains it this way. Jesus has forgiven us for the penalty of sin, which is death. But while we're in this flesh, while we're in this body, the presence of sin continues to plague us. Still with us every single day until we are redeemed from this flesh and from this body. We're going to struggle with it. Just like we're going to continue to be hungry and maybe suffer from insomnia, Or maybe struggle with addictions or bad habits that continue to plague us. However, that doesn't mean that we should give in to them. It doesn't mean that I should just throw in the towel and never get any sleep. It doesn't mean that I should give up on my diet and just keep eating until there's no tomorrow. It doesn't mean that we should sin more. Paul has already told us that in the prior chapters. Paul was basically saying just because we have this war going on inside of us doesn't mean that we should surrender to sin. Quite the contrary. He says we must continue to try to do what is right, to choose Jesus over all other things. And then Paul asked the rhetorical question, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me it's important for us to understand that I consider this a rhetorical question because there's only one right answer according to Paul. There's only one right answer to this. It's not my, my, my mom will save me. It's not my uncle will save me. It's not my church will save me. It's not my religiousness will save me. It's Jesus Christ, the power of God with us, that will save me from this sinful body. It is He who promised to give me a resurrected body. It is He who has promised me eternal life. It is only He that can cover the multitude of sins that I I have engaged in. It's rhetorical because He's writing to the church. So He's writing to an audience that He expects will know the answer. Only Jesus can redeem us from this body of sin. No one else and nothing else can. No one can cover the penalty of sins that we have committed. You can never be good enough on your own to pay back God for all your sins. Only Jesus can help you through his righteousness. You know, sometimes when you struggle with something, like when you can't keep a healthy diet, eventually you resort to drastic measures. Because you've tried dieting, you've tried the California diet and the low-carb diet and the eat-nothing diet, and just about every diet under the sun. And you can't do it. And, you know, it's not a matter of adopting a stricter diet or, 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 or just, you know, keeping your fridge empty so you don't eat. At some point it gets so important to you that you have to, get somebody to walk alongside you to help you with it. You either hire a dietician or even a coach to help you if you're trying to exercise. You come up with a plan, but you also get somebody to hold you accountable to that plan so that you can achieve your goals. And Paul was simply saying in this scripture, basically, if you recognize that you are repeat offenders, that you are people that continue to be involved in sin, and you realize that your struggle with sin is ongoing, and you realize that the fight is taking place inside of you, then there's only one solution for your life. Make sure that you invite Jesus to be in your heart and in the middle of that debate between the voices that you're hearing. Make sure that you learn to distinguish His voice from all the other voices so that whenever you have to make a decision, you go by Jesus' voice and none other. Invite Jesus to be truly your Lord and Savior, your life coach, your inspiration, your guide, your conscience, your example to follow, your confident, your everything. Jesus doesn't want to have a place in your heart. He wants to own your heart. He wants to occupy the fullness of your life. Because sin will continue to give you conflicting advice. It will continue trying to steal you away and to enslave you again. It will continue to try to disrupt your relationship with God at every single step of the way. And it will continue to try to make you feel unworthy of God's love and God's forgiveness. And the only way to combat those messages and those attacks from sin is to continue to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and all that He came to do for you. He came to promise you eternal life, but He also came to redeem you from your sin. He came to give you a new identity. He came to make you an heir of the kingdom. He came to make you a royal priesthood. He came to call you a holy nation. He came so that you would be different in him. In the end, Paul thanks God for Jesus Christ, our Lord, because he recognizes that without him, we stand no chance of winning the internal struggle that we're in. You can't self-help yourself out of sin. You can't self-help yourself out of bad behaviors that separate you from God. Only God can do that in your life through Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. But you got to let Him take over. One of the things that you learn from coaches and personal trainers and dietitians and all of these people is that if you don't give yourself over completely to the process, you won't succeed. If you don't completely surrender your will to follow the plan, you won't succeed. And when it comes to our spiritual life with Jesus, he says, I've got to have it all. Nothing else will do. And so it is a constant struggle for each and every one of us because we want to hold on to stuff. And Jesus says, nope, you got to surrender it all, and I will fight the battle for you. I will help you choose what is right, and I will give you my righteousness to be your righteousness. Praise be to God that he is with us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you because this day you are, you are calling us to remind ourselves, O oh Lord, of the inward struggle that we have with sin, to recognize, O oh Lord, that we are tempted every day, to admit, O oh Lord, that we need you in every single one of those struggles, to recognize, O oh Lord, that at times we fall short of your will and of your desire for our lives. And that at times we hold on to bad behaviors and addictions and things that separate us from you. Oh Lord, on this day we ask for the strength and the power to be able to reject sin. To reject its advances, to reject its temptations, to reject its lies with your truth. We ask, oh Lord, that you'll deliver us from those things. And that you'll help us, Lord. Lord. Help us to turn to you, and only you, every single day. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar is going to be open. If there's anything that you are struggling with, whatever it might be, you might think it's a small thing, you might think it's a big thing, it doesn't matter. If you're struggling with it, if it's getting in the way of your communion with God, if it's separating you in any way from your walk with Jesus, the altar is open. We want to pray with you. We want to pray that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ will dwell in you so that you can resist the temptations and so that you can walk following Jesus. The altar is open. Let us worship.